back to Area 51 and a half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, we got a lot to talk about on this show. Yeah, we do, and one of the neat things is we're talking about two movies this week. Yeah, they both came out this week. Yep, and with this, it kind of encompasses the whole idea of... Uh, sci-fi horror and fantasy because we're talking about firestarter and we're talking about the multiverse of madness dr strange absolutely uh two movies that we're going to give our thoughts on a little later on in the program yep uh nick do you remember the last podcast when we talked about and uh, i was uh, we talked about me being on the painkillers right I, I the thing that i had not told our, our listeners was that with that came the idea that when i was texting you i thought i was legitimately texting in scottish <laughs> because you are Scottish. So, and I just want to talk a, bit, a little bit about being Scottish for a second. So, <laughs> a mutual friend of ours this week was kind enough to send me a video for a, a song that he wants to learn for his for his band. I was listening to it because he wanted the, he wanted me to try and figure out what one of the one of the words was, right? So I was listening to him like I I cannot figure this out for the life of me. Eventually, I got him the answer, but man, that song, which was called I Can't Get My Granny Off the Drugs, was stuck in my head <laughs> all day the next day at work. Like, I was just singing it at work. Well, just, see, that, that's why I was using terms like we, because I was I was basically texting you in what I thought was Scottish. Yeah, no, it wasn't Scottish. No, uh, no absolutely not. And you know, the, the funny thing, too, is when we got on with that and I, I had the epiphany... <laughs> The light bulb went off. That finish rhymed with spinach. Oh, and and aliens, our fine faithful listeners, I am happy to report that there has been no live commentary about a watch through of Paw Patrol in the past couple weeks. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am no longer uh, on pain pills. Thank you. My back is pretty well as back to normal as it, my back gets. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. So, Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, they can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the area 51H. We have a lot to talk about with Firestarter and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So, Nick, let's get right to the roundup. A little while ago, a few weeks ago, we were made aware that CW had canceled one Batwoman into Legends of Tomorrow. Now, the, the CW cancellation slate is becoming kind of a bloodbath. They've now canceled some new shows as well as some fairly long-running shows. They've got Dynasty, Legacy, Naomi, and In the Dark. All have been canceled. Now, this seems to stem from... So CW is a, is a subsidy of Warner Brothers. They've been bought out by Discovery. And Discovery looks to be making some changes. So it's really interesting to see what these shows what the taste of CW is going to be going forward. CW, of course, is known for shows like Supernatural. It's known for shows like all the Arrowverse shows, right? Yeah, Riverdale's from CW. Right, Riverdale as well. So is Discovery looking to change this up, or are they trying to make more shows of the same? It's going to be interesting to, to see what comes down the pipeline for that. But I thought Discovery, isn't it Discovery more like a science? It's its, its own company, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's see this is, this isn't new. They've done this before. Like um, I'm I'm thinking back 
to what things used to stand for, right? right. Like A and E was arts and entertainment. entertainment, yeah. And then it became about uh, all these home decorating shows for some odd reason and hoarders and all that kind of stuff. And I'm that that is not entertainment, and it's so, certainly not art. So when I was a kid, TLC, the Learning what, Channel, the Learning Channel, and that's what it was called was the Learning Channel. Now, like most people don't even know what it stands for. Yeah. Like the learning aspect is completely out of it. Now it's all reality TV. Yeah, yeah. And the, that's the sort of thing. Like they, they have these, this is what has happened with a lot of television that just winds up being confusing in my opinion. Right, right. So speaking of television, we're going to move over to Disney Plus. Uh, a new TV show that's coming out that I am excited for. It's got Tatiana Maslany, who I think should have, who was in Orphan Black and I think should have earned all the Emmys for that television show. She-Hulk going to be released on August 17th of this year. Looking forward to that. I am too. I really can't wait. I like She-Hulk. I like her in the comics. Uh, I've loved her in video games and cartoons. Like She's just a great character. And I adore Tatiana Maslany, so I'm excited for this. Completely excited. And, of course, Mark Ruffalo is in it too. Well, yeah, he has yeah. to be, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're not familiar with the She-Hulk, she is related to Bruce Banner, and she yep. needs a blood transfusion to save her life. Bruce gives her the blood transfusion, and, of course, some of those gamma rays go over and turn her into the She-Hulk. Yeah, and the thing is, she she maintains her intelligence as the She-Hulk. I don't... She can't change back to normal human. She is a, she is a giant green lawyer, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Alf. Gordon Shumway himself. Alf has come forward and confirmed... That he will not be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I'm kind of sad about that, but not really. <laughs> uh, that came on Al's official Twitter. So that, that was just kind of a neat little snippet that I just wanted to bring up. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had no idea that Elf was even still relevant in any way, shape, or form. Oh, man. You know, like, that's the thing is, they, they, they've tried over the years to bring him back. Multiple times, and it just doesn't happen. The most relevant thing recently is NECA has made a action figure of him. And if you're not aware of who NECA is, they make highly detailed premium action figures. So this thing looks fantastic. But that's the most relevant thing I've seen of Elf. Yeah, see, here's the thing. Elf to me is something that is very much a gentle 80s comedy. A nice family comedy. Yep. It lasted maybe three, maybe four seasons. I think it was four seasons. Maybe four seasons. It, it didn't... It had popularity. There were elf dolls. There were all kinds of marketing that they could do. And then they did a cartoon, and that's kind of where it ended. And honestly, that's where I feel it should have ended. Now, Elf did appear when um, Tom Bergeron was hosting the an iteration of Hollywood Squares, and Elf would be one of the yeah. Hollywood Squares. So he, he's kind of, I don't know, he's kind of one of those things that to me has had their day, but bring him out every now and then, dust him off. And, you know, nostalgia, yay. He's very much a token item of the 80s. Like, that's the thing. I remember ALF when I was a kid. ALF, was, Alf is one of the uh, sitcoms that jumped the pond, and ALF became very popular in Britain as well when I was a kid. I have an ALF doll um, from when I was three years old. So the popularity is there. I think, personally, I think the time has come and gone for them to do any type of reboot or anything like that on elf but i think you're right seeing them do cameos seeing them do little snippets here and there that's fine i'm okay with that bring them out dust them off and there you go so uh, 
a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy probably would have been really, really on brand for it, but, yeah, well. Yeah, does Disney own the rights to ALF? Well, ALF was, I don't think any of the networks own the rights to ALF. I think the creator of ALF owns the rights to ALF, but ALF, I believe, was originally on ABC. No, NBC. NBC? Yeah, okay. definitely NBC. NBC. Well, again, I wouldn't know because we didn't have ABC or NBC in Scotland. So. Right. All right, so another thing, that, another television show coming out that I think myself and the denizens of Reddit are going to look forward to is Creepypasta. Uh, for those who don't know what Creepypasta is, it is an online, specifically online thing where people copy and paste, therefore Creepypasta, um, scary stories. And it's going to be an anthology series, which I really dig. I love horror anthology. And there's not much we know about it yet, other than it's going to be a horror anthology. But there are some creepypastas I've read over the years where I'm just like, ooh, I hope that they adapt that into a TV series. So this will be interesting. I, you know, that's something to look forward to because I do love me a good horror anthology. Yep. Um, American Horror Story is great. Uh, I love... Well, not every season is well, great of American Horror yeah, Story. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed the new Creep Show as well. Like that, I dig that. I'll tell you what was good though is they did a sort of a little spin-off series of American Horror Story called American Horror Stories. Right. And that was actually really good. It was to me. It was like getting back to what made American Horror Story so popular in the first place. Right. I, I still need to, ch to check that out. It is on Disney Plus now, so I'll probably check that out fairly soon. One little sad piece of news that we have to bring up: Fred Ward who we, we discussed Tremors a couple of weeks yeah. ago, um, also from Remo Williams. Fred Ward passed away at the age of 79. Um, I, I love Fred Ward specifically in the Tremors movies. And 79 is a good stretch. Like, let's just say that right now. He, he lived a life, but yeah. He was a good everyman kind of act. He really was. Like, you really, in Tremors, you really buy the relationship between him and Kevin Bacon. Like, they have that very redneck, everyman type uh, style about them, and you just buy their relationship. Yeah, and they had a friendship kind of like you and I have, because there's a, uh, an age difference between you and I. Yeah. But yeah. we're still friends, we're still buddies. So you, you yeah. got this older guy who's a little more stable, a little more settled, and you have the young hot dog and, and uh, Kevin Bacon's character, Val, and the, the two work well together because he can hold him back and say, hey, listen, cowboy, let's yeah, let's yeah. let's just stop and think about this for a minute. And, yeah. and, and Val brings out that sort of youth and vigor in him. It's like, yeah, we can tackle this, we can handle this, we can take on the world. Very similarly, he looks out for Val as a little brother. Right. And John, very quickly before we get into the, the, the meat of the show, just want to mention that the new Evil Dead game came out. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but it looks spectacular. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Well, yeah, I know Evil Dead is one of your favorite uh, franchises. You certainly yep. love the character Ash. Um, Ash versus the Evil Dead was a fun romp to watch. Oh, yeah. So I imagine playing a video game with Ash in it would be kind of fun. Yeah, and it's got Pablo and Kelly from Ash versus Evil Dead <laughs> as well. They're in it. They're all playable characters. It's fantastic. Oh, I need a Pablo. Right? We, don't we all need a Pablo in our lives? I, yeah, we just need that one person in our lives who's just like, hey, Heffy, I got you. Just like a, a cheerleader. Everybody needs that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, speaking of which, neither one of these movies had a Pablo. So no. let's start with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to start with Doctor Strange. Okay. So, 
thoughts on that from me. I enjoyed it with some caveats. <sighs> okay, listen, let's 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 just start by saying the MCU as a whole is enjoyable. Yeah. And you know, like uh, same thing I've said before, the MCU is very accessible. It's very it's familiar. It's the fast food of action films and sci-fi films. It's easy, it's palatable, and the scripts are, are decent. The acting is always on point, and the effects are, with the exception of a few snippets within the movies, the effects are always brilliant. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't even say the acting's always on point, but we'll get into that. Okay. So, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and before we go on any further, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, the movie, when we start off with the movie, we start off by seeing this version of Doctor Strange who has been dubbed by, I guess, Hasbro as Defender Strange, I don't know why. And America Chavez being chased by a monster. Fun, fun little action scene. And it gives us a taste of what the other universe's Doctor Strange is like. Yeah, and it sort of sets up the idea that maybe uh, America Chavez... It's hard for her to trust Doctor Strange. Yeah. Because this Doctor Strange, for all intents and purposes, appears like he's going to betray her. Yeah, and that also sets up the idea, especially when you're told about the other other Doctor Strange later on down the line, is Doctor Strange is suffering. He is being blamed for the behavior of these other Strange, and he has to, these other Stranges, and he has to atone for that. Right. It's a decent story. I like it. But it's it's kind of muddled down. It, it's a bit of a mess of a movie. It's muddled. It is. Um, I like it less than you do because, uh, listen, I'm just going to get right into why I, I... I didn't mind it. It was okay to watch. It was, a, it was fine as far as that goes. But the, the thing of it is, Doctor Strange to me was a visual special effects laden ball of confusion. Fair. I mean... I'm older. I'm not as familiar with newer characters. So I I went into this really not knowing who America Chavez was. Yeah. To be honest. So that's irrelevant because it's like, okay, it's this girl. She can teleport and open up on and go between these different multiverses. That's all I really need to know. But to me, this movie, the reason I say it was a ball of confusion is because Wanda is the villain of the piece. Yeah. And we're not used to seeing Wanda as a villain. So it's also one of those things where, Nick, I'm honestly getting tired of the MCU. They had a really good decade-long run with the Avengers and bringing everything up into speed. And now I'm just at the point where I'm like, I don't know where your focus is going here. I don't know what you're doing, and I don't really care. Well, and that's the thing, though. This is the thing that's kind of getting me. I feel like they're losing their focus because right now they're working towards kind of three different stories and God knows where that's going to go. So you've got a more grounded story with, uh, with Falcon slash Captain America and winter soldier and those types of characters. You have a more fantastic multiverse story with Spider-Man, with Dr. Strange, with Wanda, that type of stuff. And then you have the secret invasion storyline that has been more than hinted at. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and this one springboards off of WandaVision. Yeah, absolutely it and, does. But to, to my point of being exhausted by this, I feel like they should have really called this Doctor Strange and get that woman some damn help. And that's kind of the thing, right? Like, I've seen all the chatter online about this. A lot of people find that what Wanda did went against her character. And I'm like, no. No, no, no it no, didn't. In the comics, it doesn't. Well, not even within the realm of the, of yeah. the, of the MCU. In WandaVision, she got over the death of the man that she loved. And that's what she got over with. She did not, she did not get over the loss of her children, right. which she only, within the universe, despite them being preteens, she only had a few days with them. Yeah. She is, she is grief-stricken. She's upset. And I feel like a lot of people are dismissing that aspect of the story because, well, she's the villain. Yeah, but to my point on that, though, it's the fact that this is supposed to be Doctor Strange's movie and it felt like more of an extension of WandaVision than it did to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, I'm getting kind of tired of Doctor Strange being a bit player. I get it for No Way Home. Yes, that but was Spider-Man his, movie. But in his own damn movie, he shouldn't be feeling like a bit player that he's there to perpetuate the story of Wanda. And also the introduction of America Chavez. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I thought the, the character of America Chavez, I really enjoyed her. I thought sure. she was great. Sure. I, I look forward to whatever movie or Disney Plus show she eventually has, but I wanted more Benedict Cumberbatch. I wanted more Doctor Strange, and I didn't get it. Yeah. One of the things that I liked about the movie that I will grant is that i was kind of afraid that with christine that rachel mcadams was just going to be sort of in there at the start doing mm -hmm. the wedding thing and then we would never see her again and it was going to be a kind of a bad outing for her the way that the sequel to sherlock holmes was right you know and i liked what they did with that character i did too you know i, I like the fact that they they showed us a multiverse christine who could talk it out with dr strange but not only that she wasn't helpless yeah. Because Strange was nowhere around when Wanda's coming and she has to get Chavez out of the, the, the cell that she's being held in. And she has no superpowers. Right. All she has is her moxie and her grit. And I thought Rachel McAdams did a very good job of playing that version of Christine. I thought it was well written, that part of it. Mm -hmm. But that's a very small moment. Yeah. And I agree with you on that completely. I, I felt it was a good use of Rachel McAdams. I hate damsel in distress characters. I really do. And seeing her used, using her wits, using her moxie, as you said, I think it was perfect for her. Yeah, and now I don't want to come down on the damsel in distress character because the, that that still has a purpose. That still has a, a place to it. I mean, if you look at, going back to the amazing Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy. Right. Right. She, she doesn't have any superpowers. Right. You know, well, so, and, uh, so I, but it, it shows that wonderful connection of teenage love and teenage angst and yeah. wanting to do everything that you can for that person, but also speaking to the loss that, that Spider-Man and Peter Parker has, yeah, right? Yeah. But in an adult situation like this, right. then yes, you don't really necessarily want to see the damsel in distress. This Christine's from another universe. Although... It's hinted at the, the relationship is similar. It's not the same relationship with our Doctor Strange. So there is that aspect of it, right? Yeah. Now, one of the other things that I really want to talk about is the Illuminati. The Illuminati is introduced in this film, and this version of the Illuminati is Baron Mordo, Professor X, Mr. Fantastic, Captain Marvel, 
Black Bolt and Captain Carter. I understand why they did what they did with this specific group of people, with this specific group of superheroes. I just did not agree with it. So the problem is, is you have these characters and some of these characters are some of the most powerful characters, not just in the MCU, but in the comic books. Captain Marvel, we've seen the, just the extent of her power in the MCU, so we know how powerful she is, even though it's a different version of her. We've seen Captain, Captain America. Now we have the female version of him with Captain Carter, who we originally saw with What If, although I don't think this is the same version of that character. And we know how powerful she is. And she, these characters, Black Bolt in the comic books, Professor X, these are all extremely powerful characters. Fanta uh, Mr. Fantastic. Like, literally the smartest man in the world. And they're all taken down like punks. And they're arrogant. And they're even though they're smart, they're still stupid. Again, and back, I hate that. Back to me calling it Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Confusion. It's It, it just didn't make sense. Like, okay... First and foremost, let's talk about how Black Bolt goes out. Black Bolt has his mouth removed and then tries to speak and then his voice blows his brain out. They just made him look aggravatingly stupid by doing that. And Mr. Fantastic is supposed to be the smartest man in the world. I saw the meme online. He should have said, hey, Wanda, Black Bolt knows where your kids are. Go ahead, Black Bolt. Tell her where her kids are. That would have ended the scene right there. Yeah, but, but we can't do that because then we don't have a story. I know. It but... just gets back down to writing. It gets down to, I don't want to say it's lazy writing. Could I have come up with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as a script writer? Probably not. But as an audience member, it this was, to me, unfulfilling. It come, To me, it comes off as a group of nerds sitting around a table going, hey, you know be cool? Like... Oh, it's aggravating. And Captain Carter getting taken out with her own shield, fine. But in five seconds? Yeah. Oh, it was so aggravating. Well, the other... But again, it gets back to the point that, I, my opinion only, I don't care about Wanda's story going this way. I, I get that she's had a mental breakdown. I get that. I understand it's an important story to tell, but don't tell it with Doctor Strange. If you're going to tell that story, then Wanda needs the movie and Strange can be the bit player in that. He was the bit player or felt like the bit player in his own movie. I agree with that. Even even in the end, it's not Doctor Strange having that final confrontation with Wanda. It's America. Yeah, and just sort of like some of the things that they kind of left hanging there. If you remember the stinger of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, when Wong opens up the portal and says, hey, come with me, I sat there through all of this movie waiting for Shang-Chi to show up. Further on in the credits there, you see that Shang-Chi, Captain Marvel, and Wong are talking about the Ten Rings and how they're made from an element not found on Earth. I think that's going to tie into more of the secret invasion aspect of things. But I think at that point, they're spreading themselves too thin. Well, I, I agree with you, but it's like getting back to my initial point. They have that moment at the end of Shang-Chi. Yeah. Wong's there. We see them protecting the temple from Wanda. Mm -hmm. Hello? Where? That, that's where my mind went. And it took me out of the movie trying to watch it going, okay, I'm smart here. Shang-Chi's going to show up. No, he's not. 
And then in the movie, you see that fight scene at the, the, the fight club between Wong and Abomination. And they clearly, after the fight, have some kind of buddy-buddy relationship. So why doesn't he go to Abomination and say, Hey, can you help us with this? Yeah. Like, I... I in the comic books, it's easier. In the comic books, other people can just show up. But in the movies, it's not as easy to have that kind of universe because you have to pay the actor or you have to... Yes, but the problem is that all the other stingers led to something else and yeah. something very close at hand. Not this one. No. So no. now I have no idea what that stinger's all about. It's going to be something else that's further down the line. Like I said, probably something to do with the Secret Invasion. I don't know. But it's just... I feel like with Avengers, the original Avengers movie... Now, let's go back a little bit further. With the original Avengers movies, with the original Iron Man movies, with Hulk, with Captain America and Thor... It was easy to see that they were moving towards an Avengers movie. Right. With Avengers, it was easy to see that they were moving towards a final confrontation with Thanos. This point, I have no idea what they're heading towards. And uh, I don't want to say it, but I'm kind of at a point where I kind of don't care. Well, it's the aftermath. And it's like, if you think about the end of, of Endgame, <laughs> you know, it's like... I'm sorry, that's ended. We we got the trauma of Steve Rogers going back and living a different life and being old. We got the trauma of Tony dying. We got the trauma of Gamora dying. We, I don't care about this moving forward. You know, you did the thing in WandaVision. End of story. So, and this is the way I would, if I was Kevin Feige, I'd be a lot richer. But if I was <laughs> Kevin Feige, I would approach it as, you know... In Game of Thrones, you have the first... It's a 10-episode season. Yeah. You have the first eight episodes, and it leads up to that big penultimate yeah, episode where yeah. all the crap happens. Yeah. Where all the violence and all the mayhem the happens. The ones that always made me go, oh! Yeah. And then you have the 10th episode that gives you time to digest it. I feel like this entire... All of Phase 4 should just be that time to digest what happened in Endgame. Let us catch up with the characters in stories that allow us to see them understanding the situation kind of like what they've done with disney plus like with wandavision like with loki like with hawkeye i want to see these characters understand what the hell's going on in their world but i felt that they did that best in the the home series with spider-man yeah i agree with that too because when, when you have far from home it is literally spider-man it's, it's peter parker trying to figure out the world without tony stark who is, by all accounts, the his surrogate Uncle Ben in this universe. Yes, and dealing with the fact that the, the five years snapped. You know, yeah. like there was one of those moments in that movie where they were talking about uh, a kid was having a hard time, and it's not a, a major character, it's just one of those little things that you grab, yeah. where his older brother got snapped. Right. And so he continued to grow, and now he was older than his his older brother when his older brother came back. Yeah, and that was, yeah. And the, the mental gymnastics that they have to try and go through with all of that. You know, and that's, that's a, uh, I, there's so many aspects of the snap that or the blip as they call it in the movies that the mcu has not covered i mean there's so many so many devastating things that could make for really interesting non-superhero related television or movies i mean imagine a story about a guy who got snapped comes back five years later his wife is completely remarried yeah and now he has to 
deal with the fact that he is now displaced. What does he do with that? And what does someone do with that? Do you reappear where you were blipped from? Because if you reappear from where you were blipped from, then there are people who are blipping back into the sky and falling to their deaths because they got blipped from a plane. So the Russo brothers did cover that in an interview, and basically the Hulk was smart enough to figure that out. For the most part, everybody went back to where they were, but if they were in compromising situations, they were put to a place of safety, and that's the best I have for that. Could you imagine making love to your partner, and then all of a sudden you blip back into somebody else's bed, stark naked? How you doing? <laughs> so, somebody made a video... In an apartment or house that isn't yours anymore. Oh, imagine if it's a house that's been destroyed. It's no longer there. All of a sudden, you're like, where am I? What happened? It wasn't that good. Where are my clothes? I sent them to the Goodwill, honey. I didn't think you were coming back. And there's the thing. Like I remember seeing a comedy video. Somebody, because he snapped 50% of the population out of existence without any thought. It was just completely random. No thought as to who. That means a baby who was about to be born could have been snapped out of existence. And yeah, though the video goes, the video goes into that because you see the woman's belly swell and I'm like, I know that's played up for laugh, but that, if that was real, yeah, that would they wouldn't the, the woman wouldn't survive. I don't know about the baby, but the yeah. woman wouldn't. And, and here's the thing: like I, I don't know how random that really was, but uh, anyway, uh, anyway, little off track, little a little off bit. Track. But, but, the but snap it does is play always, in, it does play into the multiverse. Yeah, and the snap is always a really neat conversation to have. Like that's one of the best things that Marvel has created that isn't a character is the whole idea of the snap. What ramifications can come from it? Yeah, and I don't mind that, but it's to me like right now, like the whole Wanda thing is just flogging it. You know, it's just like, can we not do that? Uh huh. Ah. Get the I, woman I, some help. Let's see her get some help. Let me see that movie. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Like, I, I think that could have been an interesting introduction for Professor X and being her psychiatrist, but whatever. Yeah. It's. Um, you know, one of the other things that, that kind of took me out of it, too, was that alien creature with the eye and the tentacles. It looked so cartoony. Yeah. And it's it's legitimately from the comics. Yeah. But it just it looks so silly. Now, well, speaking of characters, though, speaking of characters that aren't characters, I love Doctor Strange's cloak. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if I should call him Cape or her or it, <laughs> whether I should call him Cape. Or cloak, I don't know, but I love that thing. Cape Suzette. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna fry for that. Oh, all the '90s kids are laughing their heads off right now. Okay, so I love the cape. Oh, wait a minute, I've, is there more to that? Yeah, Cape Suzette is the name of the the setting from the, the TV show Tailspin. Oh, okay, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, so I love the cape as well. I feel like it is his R two essentially. Like a, a character yeah, that yeah. doesn't really talk, but takes like he's there for. Him, it's right? a sentient being because yeah. it it is aware. Actually, you know what it really reminds me of? It reminds me of Rug from Aladdin. Yeah, it reminds me of the flying yeah. carpet. Yeah. So yeah, very very similar, even in movement. Great effects for the cape. Always great effects for the cape. I enjoy seeing. It, it's really neat seeing Doctor Strange interact with it because he he clearly cares about it. and It clearly cares about him. Yeah, and let's talk about Benedict Cumberbatch a little bit as Doctor Strange. Let's perfect choice absolutely perfect choice and he did a damn good 
job in this film. There isn't anything I haven't seen that Benedict Cumberbatch, in my opinion, hasn't just knocked out of the park. Even that loathsome Grinch movie. Which I still refuse to see. So here's the deal with what we see with Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie. This is a man who... When it starts off, the woman he loves is getting married to someone else. He got snapped out of existence. She didn't. He, she moved on. She found someone else. And even then, before the snap, their relationship was already tenuous anyway. So, But he, he loves her, and we know that. We can see the when he interacts with her at the wedding, you can... And this is the great th- thing about Benedict Cumberbatch, is that you can see all the little emotions. There's nuance there. Oh, my God. Because, like, you can see that he wants to, like, just scream I love you at her out of frustration, out of hurt, out of pain, out of everything. But he doesn't because he's Doctor Strange. And he, he conducts to... himself with dignity. Yeah. And he, he has this view of the universe that nobody else has ever had. Right. And so he can understand, even though it brings him pain, he can understand the trivialness of those emotions and overcome them. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, when, when, the, when the wedding happens, that tentacled, one-eyed monster attacks the city and it's after America and you can kind of tell that Doctor Strange is like oh thank you I'm out of here and he grabs the cloak and he flies down and he doesn't have to face the wedding anymore. Yeah. It's, it's no longer a thing for him. He now gets to deal with something that he knows how to deal with. But not just that layer it's also oh okay here we go Yeah, and off he goes. He knows what he's supposed he's, to do he's had some battle action he's got training he knows how he's going to most he's experienced. He's, yeah. he's experienced because he's got the experience of the first movie, all the stuff that happened in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, and all the stuff that's happened in Spider-Man. He knows what he's doing. One thing in these movies, Wong is a Sorcerer Supreme because Doctor Strange was snapped out of existence. Now, in the comic universe, and I need to keep the number 616 in your head for a second because I need to bring that up. But in the comic books, Doctor Strange obviously is the Sorcerer Supreme. And I would like to see them go down that route with him being the source of Supreme, being the one in charge. But I kind of also don't want Wong to die because I really like Wong and I love their relationship together. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know. And, and they have done a lot of contrived things. Like this is going way back, you know, where they faked Coulson's death. I mean, I, part of why I started watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first place was... Okay, you killed Coulson. I need to know how he is not dead. Tahiti is a magical place. Yes. <sighs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, you know what, man? That is a whole other show. We're not talking about I that. Will... I'm just saying uh, nobody is ever dead. So. Well, and that's the thing, right? Comic books, unless you see the body, they're not dead. And even then, they're probably still not dead. You have characters that come in and out. I mean, they, they brought Peter's parents back in the comics. Well, they brought him back in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but I, I brought up number 616, and that's important. So in this movie, Christine tells Doctor Strange that he is from Universe 616. And as a comic book fan, that bothers me to a guttural level. Because the original comic book series, everything that is the main comic book series, that is Earth. 616 and it bugs me because it 
it doesn't fit it doesn't the, the jigsaw pieces don't fit for me that makes it not fit for me like when they mentioned when mysterio mentioned that it was that it was earth 616 and uh far from home i bought that because mysterio wasn't actually from another universe right but now christine confirms that it's it's 616 so that means that you can't it's hard for me to properly verbalize my the the reason that I'm bothered by this because the movies and comics are essentially separate, but now you have MCU six one six which doesn't have a ton in common with the comic book six one six. Yeah, and that bothers me a lot. I feel like there should be room if they're going to do multiverse versal stuff. There should be room for characters from the comic books from Earth six one six to cross over into MCU six one six. Yeah. And that's why it bugs me. Yeah, I think bottom line for me is I'm getting tired of the MCU, period. Which ties into a discussion that we're going to have as we move into Firestarter now. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm actually, it's not just the MCU. I'm getting tired of franchises in general milking something to death. I don't want any more Halloween movies. I don't want any more Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I don't want any more Friday the 13th movies. I don't want any more Indiana Jones. I don't want any more Star Wars. I want something new. And I really don't want any more Scream movies. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. And honestly, I 100% agree. It's been brought to my attention through different articles and different views that the MCU... Marvel movies and this type of filmmaking in general is having a massively detrimental effect on filmmaking and the, the theater business as a whole because people are going to see the MCU movie instead of going to see something new, something something else, right? Like we just saw Northman, oh, which yeah. was fantastic. Fantastic. Visually Fantastic. stunning. Right now, Agers can do no wrong. Right. Absolutely fantastic film. Brutally violent. Gorgeously acted. And our boy, Dafoe, just... He was only in it a little bit, but killed at what he was in. But it bombed. And it, I hate that it bombed, because I feel like Hollywood needs to make more films it like this. It shouldn't have bombed, because what is disturbing me is that Perhaps, and I'm not putting anybody down, do not come for us. People are buying into banality, into the same, into... It's like you're, you're having a, a Big Mac every day for lunch instead of having a filet mignon every now and then. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but I've said this to you several times. And it's actually a quote from a really crappy movie, but I don't care. Jaws of Revenge, Mario Van Peebles says... If mediocrity were fattening, you'd all be whales. And I really feel like that is becoming a very relevant quote because we just keep eating up mediocrity yes. and liking it. And talking about mediocrity, Firestarter, the remake, the retelling. Okay, here's my th here's what I wrote down the other day, Nick, uh, as we saw Firestarter and... Basically, it's an anti-charismatic, unnecessary retelling. So, Nick, let's just start from the opening and move through. Right. So, the movie opens with the family at home, and Charlie's still an infant. Yeah. And she expresses her powers. Great stuff. Then it goes into kind of this really chilling opening credit. It's very horror movie. Yeah. 
Like I, I that got me really psyched for this movie. There's the opening credits. I'm like, oh, it this was is amazing. Going. Yeah, and it really set a tone and it really set a mood that the movie didn't meet. No, I mean, it was like, here's all this really gross, gory, horrifying Stephen King stuff that we're not going to follow up with. Right. It it was it was maddening after a while. Well, it was because it committed the cardinal sin. It, it bored us. It was so boring. And I didn't want it to be boring because, honestly, Zac Efron's performance was fine. I agree with that. Like, Zac Efron has turned into a fairly decent actor. I like him. He does comedy very well, but I haven't seen a lot of his more serious stuff, so there is yeah, that. Yeah, but he, he chose a good career path because he got out of those high school musical Disney things, right? Where he was a cute boy and all the girls liked him. He's on, yeah. on the teen magazines and in lockers and everything else. But then he did some really sort of gritty stuff. There's a movie called The Paperboy. He did, yep. you know, and yep. he broke that mold and we were able to see him doing other things. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you, uh, I may be one of the five people on the planet that like this movie, but I really enjoyed him in Baywatch with The Rock. <laughs> yeah, I, I do enjoy Zac Efron. I think he's a fine actor. Um, and, and speaking of fine actors, Kurtwood Smith is in this. Now... Briefly. Briefly. So I just want to talk about Kurtwood Smith for a second. So the only non-comedy role... I know Kurtwood Smith from is the president of the United Federation of Planets in Star Trek VI, and that is literally it, um, which is sad. I know him from his comedy stuff. I know him from The Ranch, and I know him from that 70s show. And I never really have been able to appreciate how good he is as an actor. And the scene he's in... It's fantastic. It's, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, that and the opening credits. That is And the nuances it. that he brings to it. And the, here's the thing is that he has this habit, his character has this habit of taking pixie sticks and dumping, dump, dumping out, yeah. the, the pixie stick out. And it's very methodical and it's lined up the, in a certain way. And then I don't know what he does with the casing of it, but, you know... But the thing of it is, I'm sitting there concentrating on that because this is what movies make you do. It's like, is, is this something I need to know? Is this something I that's going to come and haunt me later? And of course, no, it no, never nothing, does. Nothing. Because we never see him again. Yeah, I feel like there was something cut there. Now, in saying that, I the scene is with Captain Hollister, and I, because I'm so used to Red, I was expecting him to call her a dumbass at some point. But, <laughs> but like just seeing him work as a dramatic actor was something else. Yeah. Something else. The pacing of this movie was slow. Now, I don't mind a slow burn, but I hate it when the pacing itself is slow. And it's it was slow, and it was noticeably slow. Like, I'm pretty sure I saw a fly move backwards. Uh, but, like, it just... It was maddening. Like, I really wanted to like it. I was so excited. I saw the trailer for this movie, and I was in. I was so excited for this. And then I watched it. I'm like, nope, I'm As out. a Gen Xer, I was less excited, and unfortunately, it did wind up disappointing me because I'm going to compare it briefly okay. to the original. One of the things that is very difficult for this remake is the fact that the original had Drew Barrymore, who was very charismatic as a child actress. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not ripping on the girl that's playing Charlie on, on this because, you know, no no kid is going to come up to the same level that Drew Barrymore did back in the 80s and 90s, yeah. right? It had Art Carney in it. It had George C. Scott Oh, in George it. C. Scott. So uh, already the acting is blowing you out of the water. Yeah. 
what they did right though is that they actually got an indigenous person to play an indigenous character in the in the remake in the remake yeah you know, so as much as we love George C. Scott, George yeah. C. Scott is supposedly playing someone of native background <laughs> yeah. in the form of John Rainbird. And it, you kind of go, okay. But thinking back then, and it's one of the same problems now, they need to really start bringing these diverse actors into the open so that we don't have those mistakes, right? Yeah, and that's um, that's the thing. Like, you're, there are... And I'm pretty sure George C. Scott was there as a moneymaker. Oh, probably. Yeah, like, get bumps in the seats. Absolutely. And, you know, you see, um, like, on uh, Crave here, but in Shudder in, Shutter in the States, I believe, you got movies like Blood Quantum, which has an indigenous cast to it. And I like, I like the fact that, like, growing up here um growing up in canada and all that you see on television you see these um movies about indigenous people but they're very much personal stories or dramatic stories and they they very low budget dramatic stories and you can tell that and they're great little stories greatly like wonderful actors but the problem is is i want to see these people tell wild stories I want to see the horror movies come from indigenous people. I want to see the sci-fi come from indigenous people. And we're now starting to get those movies, but they need they need more of a spotlight on them. Yeah, absolutely they do. And, you know, not whitewashed either. Oh, God, no. So here's the problem with the, the new Firestarter, is that it had a very inconsistent feel to it. It's the same thing that I, I said about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in the fact that, it's I call it, you know, in the multiverse of confusion. This just felt inconsistent. Let me tell you some of the reasons why. First of all, the pacing. Because you would have these really slow, dirgish pieces, and then you'd get Kurtwood Smith. And yeah. then you'd have a really slow, dirgish peach, and then, oh, there's this, you know. And it's like the director was trying to achieve something, but we're not quite sure what it was. Uh, the shots I, were inconsistent, because there were some beautiful shots, and there were some lame shots. So for me, the, I felt that there needed to be a certain action element to this horror film. Especially with Firestarter. the director could not direct action. You could see that in the first scene between the mom and uh, John Rain... Uh, John Rainbird. John Rainbird, thank you. Um, you could see that in the scene between the mom and Rainbird. It should have been a really good action scene, but man, it sucked. Yeah, and even if this is more like the Stephen King novel, it still was lacking. Because yeah. what Stephen King can write, what Stephen King writes what you can easily put on... On, on the screen. I agree Easily. With that. I agree with that. And I, I like, there's the thing. I'm not, um, like, we've talked about Stephen King on the podcast before. I have tried to read several Stephen King books. They are not my thing, and I fully admit that. But I love his stories, and I love when his books are adapted into movies, because that means I can sit down and watch this story, finally. And, and back in the 80s and 70s really started in the 70s it was the best of the best of stephen king's novels mm -hmm. so you had carrie you had firestarter you've got the shining you've got christine pet cemetery the penultimate right oh man the original pet cemetery yeah <sighs> i i've said it before and i'll say it again nothing against john lithgow he was the right choice for the remake but again pet cemetery suffers the way that 
Firestarter suffers, and I'll say the, the catchphrase, sometimes Fred is better, referring <laughs> to Fred Gwynn. You cannot beat Fred Gwynn as Judd. I don't no. care who you are. So here's one of the problems with it. You'll see the connection in a moment. John Carpenter did the score with his son, Cody Carpenter. Right. So that's because he's now been buddy-buddy with Jason Bloomhouse, uh, yeah. you know, and they're doing the Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. So John Carpenter is, like, now doing all these great scores with his son, Cody, and thank God, because that was the best thing about 80s horror movies was a John Carpenter film and the John Carpenter scores. So you have this score trying to make it feel so it, the feeling is supposed to be a John Carpenter film that's not directed by John Carpenter and it gets confusing because you hear this wonderful rich synth score that Car only Carpenter can do yep. and then you have somebody else directing it and it doesn't really match. You have a great vibrant robust score over a movie that's flatter than a two-ounce pancake. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's maddening. And this is the thing. This is what I keep saying. Missed opportunities, missed opportunities, missed opportunities. This movie could have been great. It wasn't. It sucked. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the sad thing about it, too, again, part of that confusion is you and I were making fun of it because I kept saying they need to take this little girl up to upstate New York and drop her off at Professor X's place. Well, you said it to me when we were watching it. It felt like, kind of like New Mutants. Yeah, was. yeah. It, it had, it's supposed to be a horror film. New Mutants had that horror quality. I actually don't think the New Mutant movie was as bad as everybody thinks it was. It was different. It was a different kind of superhero movie. But that's the problem, is that Firestarter, this version of Firestarter, felt like it was trying to be a superhero movie that isn't a superhero movie. Yeah, I felt like we got a supervillain origin story as opposed to a Stephen King horror film. Either that or a, a superhero origin story. You know, like the, the one thing I guess that they maybe did correctly, maybe, but it wasn't flushed out because wasn't like the runtime only like an hour and a half? Yeah, it was only an hour and a half long. Like, it felt longer. Like, I am sorry. There is so much more story that you could have put in there. I mean, you, you dropped a half hour of exposition that we might have needed. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's kind of maddening on that end because, again, it just, the thing. The flavor of it is, is which of the parents is correct in how they need to deal with Charlie and her, you know her, what, her, her burgeoning powers. Okay, so let's talk about that aspect about it. That part of it I thought was very appropriate for the time, where you have this this child, this girl who is going through something profound, and you have the two parents disagreeing how it needs to be handled with, and the. Uh, the similarities between kids who are just, just growing up in general. But yeah. if you look at the way kids are growing up now, it's very different than how you and I grew up. Oh, very much and so. And the idea of this little girl that can shoot fire is explosive. And it's hard not to see the similarities between kids that are going through transitioning or kids that are going through coming out of the closet in any way, shape, or form with that kind of situation. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that Charlie not can not only just form fire and shoot fire, she can also control their minds. Yeah, like the, the little girl has powers, and it's frightening the amount of powers. Like when you have that scene with Kurtwood Smith, 
going back to that because great scene he says at the end destroy her yeah because he knows how screwed the world is if this girl gains full control of her full powers yeah and i'm not going to spoil the ending because maybe check it out there are some nice scenes to look at whatever but the ending of the original versus the ending of this i'm not sure what the ending is in the stephen king book to be honest with you this one felt very confusing, whereas the Drew Barrymore one, you felt like, ah, okay, that makes sense. Charlie's going to be okay. Yeah. And I I haven't read the book. When I saw the original Firestarter, I was a kid, don't really remember it, and I didn't want to watch the original so it wouldn't inform my opinion right. of this one. Coming clean into the movie, it was a bore fest it was such a snooze fest well and here's the thing you know you know correct me if i'm a little bit wrong on this but i mean because gen x my generation grew up with stephen king we were there for his first novel we were the teen audience of the time in the 80s we were seeing these wonderful adaptations of his books we were reading his books if you are making this movie as a nostalgia piece, hoping that Gen X is going to come to you, we're not because we don't want you to make this remake. Yeah. Sometimes we, we've discussed this before where the idea of a remake should be taking something that wasn't done, that had a good premise, but wasn't done right. Since we're on the topic of Stephen King, right? let's look at The Shining. Stephen King hates the adaptation of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is a phenomenal movie. That's a masterpiece. It is, but it's Stanley Kubrick's Shining. Yes, 100%. It is nothing really like the novel. Yes, there's bits and pieces in there. So I understand why Stephen King would hate that. If you want to do a remake, oh, don't be afraid because it's Stanley Kubrick. No, do a remake of The Shining and make it more like the book. Now, I remember back in the 90s, they did a mini-series of The Shining. It was more like the book, and they needed more budget. That's all I can well, say. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the, well, see, there again, that's the problem. Like Stephen King in the 90s found uh, new life with all these mini-series. Right. And, and one of the, the very storied mini-series is, of course, It. Right. Because it was very accessible to people. Uh, and there are some great moments in that. Yeah. But a remake of it didn't bother me because it's like, well, outside of the fact that we don't have Tim Curry playing Pennywise, you could do things in it and that were you could not do with a television budget. And to be fair, Skarsgård did a fantastic job. Sure he did. But yeah, like that that's the thing is well, actually I guess that's it, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. The, these <laughs> These movies that come from Stephen King, like I'm, I'm really looking forward to the remake of Salem's Lot, and th nothing against the uh, the miniseries of the original miniseries of Salem's Lot, but it is incredibly dated and could use a refresh. But and that's where I think remakes should lie: is movies that had a good premise but weren't executed very well, or something that just needs to be yeah, refreshed. I, Salem's Lot, to me though, that that miniseries, that's frightening. That, that is probably one of the more frightening adaptations. It's got some really great it moments has, in there with the vampires floating outside of the window. It and, does have some really uh, yeah. good moments so in it. So I, I think a remake of Salem's Lot will be fine if they ramp it up. This remake of Firestarter didn't ramp it up. No, it didn't. And it really should have, especially in that end scene 
like yeah there was only that one spot that we liked i don't know if i want well, no we'll, we'll keep that to ourselves we'll keep that to ourselves uh let's just put it this way we that was probably one of the bright spots in the movie where we both went oh okay you have done ticked off charlie now yeah but when she's again won't, won't get too far into it i was like i was expecting it to be more explosive than it was yeah and the special literally effects were, yeah the special effects were fine um there were some really gut-wrenching moments um if you don't like seeing animals get injured or hurt in the movie it's not the one for you but yeah i mean i, I here see here's the problem like with again with remakes like you have to somewhere someone went oh crap at universal back about 25 years ago right. when they said to gus van sant yeah go in the vault and you can remake any movie you want and he came out with psycho <laughs> that but i'm bringing that up for a reason gus van sant actually did a remake of psycho yeah shot for shot except shot, for one little bit yeah shot for shot and he shouldn't have because that's just an all-time classic. But, you know, that's a remake. To See, him, that was a remake. Whereas you look at Rob Zombie's Halloween, that is a complete retelling. Well, yeah, that's like like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, that is Rob Zombie's Halloween. I think it even says on the title. It does, as it should, because that is a retelling. That is the way that Rob Zombie would tell that story. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't mind that. I know a lot of people do but i don't mind that per se if you're going that route and so we're kind of into this problem now nick of readaptations retellings reboots remakes well what is it you know it's whatever buzzword hollywood comes up with at the time yeah and that that sucks you know eventually they'll remake jaws and i'll be very angry i you know i i i don't know about that <laughs> Uh, okay. Not well, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, alive. that's the thing. That's the thing. There are a lot of Steven Spielberg movies that are going to get remade, readapted, whatever. Once he's gone, right? Yeah, once he passes away, which yeah. we, which we're not rooting for by any sense. No, God, no, 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 no. I, I would be happy if Steven Spielberg was around and making movies forever and ever. But we yeah, know that's just not I, realistic. That's 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 the hard thing for me, right? Because I know that somewhere in the next. In my lifetime, I, there's not going to be another Stephen King novel. There's not going to be another John Carpenter movie or score or whatever. And yeah. I am happier with them in my life than I am them not in my life. I, I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, when Cassandra Peterson, Stephen King, and John Carpenter shuffle off this mortal coil, I'm going to be very sad. You're going to yeah. have to console me. Yeah, honestly, I agree with you on that. It's... It's hard when, going back to Robin Williams, just for a minute, it's hard when you lose one of your heroes. And as you get older, you do lose your heroes. Robin Williams, that, that hurt. That sucked. Because yeah. Robin Williams wasn't just a comedian I liked. Robin Williams made up a large part of my childhood. He was an amazing storyteller he could he a, make you smile and he was yeah. gifted in so many ways and the disease that he had was completely an insidious disease yeah. how it tortured him and robbed him of of all dignities so that he had to make that very yeah. difficult choice to choose um 
end of life care versus continuing on with the disease. Yeah. So, run away from that. Uh, this past weekend, my brother and his grandkids went to Ectotron in Glasgow. And it's really cool. My brother's gotten into cosplay. So he's... Well, first of all, explain what Ectotron is. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So Ectotron is a Ghostbusters convention in Glasgow. So you go and there's a whole bunch of Ghostbusters stuff there. They had actors from the from the cartoon and stuff like that. My brother has gotten into uh, heavy into the Ghostbusters cosplay. So he's made himself a Ghostbusters costume. And it, it's, uh, I believe his, uh, his name tag is Pops. And it's the, the flight suit from the waist up and then the bottom. Because he's Scottish, he's got a kilt on. <laughs> and he's got a, he's got a helmet on in there. It looks, it looks great. He's been working on all this really awesome Ghostbusters stuff. He's been working on a model of the Ecto-1 and all that. Um, he sent me some pictures. He did up the... Uh, he got a couple of the old Kenner, or the new Kenner-ish, uh, Ghostbusters backpacks for the grandkids and made them look real. Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing some really great work with it. Yeah. And here in Canada, um, Niagara Falls Comic Con is coming up. They are back after the hiatus of what we sometimes call the blip (laughs) with the pandemic having everything shut down. So they are back and they have uh, William Shatner, Ron Perlman, Brad Dourif. They're going to be there signing autographs along with uh, many others. And that's June 3rd to the 5th in Niagara Falls. Yeah. And we've been to the Niagara Falls Comic Con quite a few times before. It's always a good show. It, I like it because it's a bit of a smaller show compared to Fan Expo, yeah. but still big enough to have some really, really kick-ass names. Yeah, you know, and they do a really good job with it. Uh, they also do uh, Frightmare in the Falls, which is later on in October. Yep. Um, hopefully we'll be able to go to that. We're, we're giving this one a miss right now, letting things letting the dust settle a bit. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something we agreed on because I really I really want to get out and meet some meet some fans and get some get some people on the on the uh, show with us and whatnot, but we'll work on that. Now, John, I uh, just want to remind everybody you can find us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and of course Twitter at the area 51h. And of course you can find Area 51 and a half wherever you find your favorite podcast and remember to rate us on Apple and Spotify. Thank you for joining us here at Area 51 and a half aliens. We will see you next time. Good show. Yeah, I, you know, it's it probably though that the, the, the great projects are